Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Jeremy Nusser, co-founder and COO of Avalo. I think now more than ever, I've really come to appreciate the beauty and the importance of nature and plants, and especially during this time of COVID and quarantining. And I think one of the main reasons why I haven't created a garden myself is that it's kind of intimidating, right? I I feel like you need to know exactly what ingredients to buy. You need to give the right TLC to it every single day. Just a lot of things that feel super intimidating to me. And Avalo solves this by bringing the learning curve down to virtually zero. And the way they do this is with their self-watering beds. So that for the novice like myself, you can get any one of their plants, you put it inside the self-watering bed, and it does it for you pretty much in cruise control. And in the episode, Jeremy and I will discuss how exactly the idea for Avalo came to life finding the sweet spot between effective and super easy to use, how gardens support diverse ecosystems, and why city planners should be looking at gardens as a compelling climate solution, and so much more. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation with Jeremy Nusser, co-founder and COO of Avalo. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Peter. So, Jeremy, it's funny, when we first crossed paths over Twitter, I became super interested in what you were working on after I saw you getting into a back and forth with a up-and-coming climate tech investor. But before we dive into that, because it's on the docket, can you just tell our listeners, what is Avalo? Avalo is really hoping to use gardens as a way to give people a chance to actually grow some of their own food, and to provide a place that they can use to connect with the world around them. So we have self-watering hardware, because it makes it a lot easier. I'll tell you more about that. But, but really, it's about giving you a chance to be a successful gardener, because that's where people tend to go wrong in the garden. And we're trying to fix all of the reasons you aren't successful in the garden and be a resource for people. That's super interesting. And I'm saying this in part selfishly because my fiance and I have always talked about starting row garden and have never actually done it. I, I think in large part uh, because we're very intimidated by it. So yeah. maybe unpack what that means. You know, <laughs> how does Avalo work for dummies like myself? So you're a hundred percent. You're not alone is the first thing I'll say to you and your fiance. Their gardening is one of these intimidating things that we just, we have a fear of failing. And this is gardening is really a lot about embracing failure. Um, that's how you kind of push through. But our question was, how do we minimize failure? How do we really take as much out of the equation as possible? And we looked at it and the fun things are, there's actually only a few causes for failure. Really it's, you have the wrong plants at the wrong time kind of thing like that. But soil health and water are the two biggest reasons people, they don't understand it. They don't optimize that for, for growing. And we didn't all go to UC Davis or, you know, or Berkeley biotech. And that's understandable that we don't necessarily know exactly how much water uptake a plant needs. 
uh -huh. um, or what the pH of the soil should be and what's the, you know, the NPK characteristics of my soil. Like that's very intimidating for an average gardener. And so we looked at the water and soil and said, hey, we can actually make sure that people have good soil um, by providing it. And we can allow the plants to, to kind of self-regulate. And so our, our breakthrough in the, in the world of gardening is we have a reservoir that allows the plants to just pull what they need, but also doesn't break down itself, which is where I think a lot of existing technologies in this field have, have fallen down. And so we have this really durable, easy to use kind of foolproof system in which you just, as long as the reservoir has water, the plants are pulling up what they need. So you're not watering the plants, they're watering themselves. And that just removes that water as a failure point. So instead of you having to remember to water every you know, morning and night or setting up a complicated drip system, you literally add water to a system once a week. And so it just flips gardening on its head. And so instead of being this time intensive commitment that you have to make, it allows you to have a garden on your schedule. And that's, that's one of those weird things. It's a small thing, but it makes a insanely big difference in the world of gardening. So already I can see how this knocks over barriers to starting and really maintaining your own garden. But <laughs> what I want to better understand is how you actually got the idea or how you were initially inspired to crack this problem. Like what's, what's the backstory here? And when you say, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to focus on making gardening accessible to everybody. The last thing in the world I thought I'd be doing is <laughs> reinventing gardens. We, so my business partner and fiance and myself, one of the things we share is we come from places that we've always had something growing. And so mm -hmm. for, for myself, I grew up in farm country and it was all about like, you know, big commercial ag, but we always still had a garden on the side and that was just normal. You know, my co-founder, her approach was very different. She had a family of insanely good gardeners. So they had these elaborate greenhouses and just like this world of, of amazing gardens. And that was mm -hmm. her normal. And so we had a chance to start our own together. And we're like, we're very excited about that. But we were in a new climate, starting in a different season. We didn't really know in a place we hadn't grown before. And we inherited, you know, kind of a conventional watering system, an automated system, and we failed. Like we just completely, that first out, out of the gate, and we just like, we put fresh soil in, we did all the stuff we knew how to do, and it just didn't work. And so this was, we were kind of in the opposite boat, I think most people find themselves, in which we knew what success looked like, and then all of a sudden we failed. And I'm like, whoa, what, what happened? And uh -huh. we started really... It, it bothered us. We dove in and we found out that basically the watering system was, it looked like it was operating correctly. It wasn't and the output. And I'm, a, I'm an engineer focused and I focus on like fluid dynamics. So like I was calculating pressure drops across different runs and different, I was like super nerding out on exactly how much water the plant should get. Mm -hmm. And the, the complicated, like it's such a complicated equation. And uh, like, wait, if I'm having trouble figuring this out, what are the chances that like someone without a uh, you know, physics engineering background is going to be able to like calculate on the back of a napkin? Like this is an unreasonable ask for anyone. And so that was kind of the moment, the frustration of like failing and struggling to find, get everything back to good. It was such a difficult process. 
led us to like, there has to be a better way. Like that was simply it. It's like, there has to be something better. And so we started playing around and, and looking and we actually found, so one of the oldest technologies is what we're using in our self-watering system. So in the Middle East, dawn of civilization, right? We discover that you can flood trenches and the crops do amazingly well. So, you know, this all across Europe, across the, you know, parts of the US, parts of Asia, but places without a lot of water, like Northern India, you know, the Middle East, can't do that. They don't have enough water. So they found through massive experimentation, but they, they could bury clay pipes and flood those full of water. And the plants would actually pull through the clay automatically. And the crops did amazingly well and they used a lot less water. So it was a really good system. So once we found that and started playing around with different ways to enable that, and how do you actually make that work at a scale that can be on someone's balcony or in someone's yard. And we spent the next three years, honestly, just playing with different, you know, experimenting. Different material combinations, different, you know, shapes, sizes, configuration of spacing. How do you get enough water to the plants to allow them to, to actually thrive in that environment? Interesting. So paint a picture of the customer experience. I go into avalo.com, right? I, I know that I want to start a garden and then I see there's kits. Talk me through um, what exactly that journey looks like for a new customer like myself. Yeah. So the, the first question we have for you is what are your goals? And so we've tried to orient around the common goals that we see. And so our hope is that you identify with one of these goals. And one is like, Hey, I want to be a better cook. I want to make better meals for my family. Or it's like, I want some beauty in my life. Or it's just something that like, I'm not really interested in the productivity. This is just, I really want to learn more about this gardening skill. And so those are kind of the three major buckets we find people fall into. And so we have have packages and even a lot of people that just want to learn more about gardening. This is, they just want something that, that helps them get started. So we package everything together for you. So when you're like, Hey, I need a, I need a planter from you guys. I hear your technology. I love it. I think once a week sounds great for me. Okay. I'm going to get an Avalo planter. You don't have to buy anything else. So it comes with the soil. It's it's shipped directly to your door full of fresh organic soil and compost and all the good stuff that you need for your soil nutrition and our system already pre-installed. So literally you unbox it, add some plants, add some water, you're done. So we tried to... Yeah, we tried to really simplify that just to give you that leg up to get started because, yeah, it's just where people go wrong, right? So, you know, let me compare and contrast this to the traditional, I think, way that you would get a garden. You go to a retail store, you know, a hardware store, you buy some container, you buy a soil that you think is good, or you don't, or you order from Amazon, you order a planter, and then you have to order some soil or find a different soil, and like you have to combine this stuff. and what should be something that just is a joyful thing of like, oh my God, I'm selecting plants and, you know, bringing life to my balcony becomes a, a project. And, and, and that's kind of where it goes wrong. Cause you know, one simple thing, you're like, oh man, I forgot the, I needed some extra, you know, cocoa, cocoa core or peat moss. And like, ah, I didn't grab that on that trip to the store. I have to wait or have to order it again. And it goes from one weekend or one day to takes a couple weeks to get everything together. And, then you don't know what plants are going in. And that's, that's what we want to prevent. You know, it's like, <laughs> how do we, because if you order a plant package and a planter, basically you're planted within an hour. And that's kind of fun. You know, it's like you go from, we like to like give that a kind of wow factor of you go from zero garden 
to a planted and ready and growing garden in literally the shortest amount of time possible. Wow. I mean, I'm looking at this now so I can get the bed hardware and then I can scroll down and look at the different vegetable plant packages. So if I go into the plant packages, after I have the bed or the piece of hardware, I can mm-hmm. choose the package that's best suited for me. I like the choice at either farmer's market or too much is never enough. That's amazing. <laughs> yep. And then it'll get me. So will you send the seeds for those respective plants or in the plant packages, are these ready to eat? So these are actually baby plants. So one of the things we've looked at is, you know, a lot of places they'll, hey, here's the seeds, you can grow it. The uh-huh. problem is when you plant the seeds is not necessarily when you should plant in the ground for the, for the small baby plants. Uh, so we, the starts, uh, baby, the baby plants are, is what they're called. And, but you can cut months of growing time off of there. So it's another way that we were helping you get to success is we're actually shipping you live baby plants in the mail. And we ship that along with plant markers and, and mulch and fertilizer and some seeds because some things do grow better from seed. Everything that you need for your package is kind of the appropriate size when we ship it out to you. Wow. And yeah, so we're kind of constantly tuning that based on where you live, based on your plant package, and based on kind of the time of year you're ordering that. We're mm-hmm. tuning those to your specific garden as best we know. And so a lot of times if people have specific questions or we'll work, we'll work through to customize. And so we actually, to give you an example, like you can, we have an app uh, for coaching that's uh, garden coaching is what we call it but it's completely free it's uh, just sign you know anyone can sign up and directly message our expert team and we have people who, who sign up for the app and then chat with us through there and really get it like do some learning do some and do some uh, kind of questions with our team to build the perfect package and we can do that as well so like that's perfectly acceptable because the more we know about where you are the better our plant recommendations are going to be for you wow okay so I want to zoom out for a second and start talking about how Avalo plays in the greater narrative around climate solutions. And I think uh, the initial conversation that piqued my interest and ultimately is how you and I got connected is Mm -hmm. uh, a thread of tweets between you and an investor. And his question was, anyone working on rewilding? Hmm. And Mm -hmm. You responded saying, you know, we're creating a network of gardens at Avalo to enable the ecosystem to come back into urban areas. First step in balancing is creating a welcoming environment. So let's start there. Can you unpack what that means? (laughs) Yeah. So the, I mean, this is such a climate and ecosystems are so incredibly complex, but what we know uh, about kind of the world we live in is, you know, we have two things at the same time, right? We need more housing and yet at the same time we're encroaching into urban areas and we're putting more concrete and pavement and buildings into places that were previously just you know kind of open spaces and that's kind of the the balance that we see is like how do we merge those two mm-hmm. and the research from you know kind of a variety of sources for the last 50 70 years actually so it goes people have studied gardens for a very long time and they're impact so it's we have some really good data but that's one of the easiest ways to merge. And I'll give you fun, fun examples. Like, for example, Philadelphia did, did some studies on how to, like, the differences when they had a place converted to 
garden versus versus the the regular urban urban environment, and the temperature differences and the biodiversity that was just by having a small garden space for a relatively large area was just massive. You know, it's like they had twenty degree temperature differences and just and it like this is literally almost zero biodiversity to like almost like completely rural country biodiversity within the space of a block. You know, Lisbon found like 30 degree differences by putting in a small park, just like to give people a place to go. And, but it also literally lowered the temperature around there. So you, you find, so gardens, what they do is they create, first and foremost, they create homes for biodiversity. So that's one of the things that I think is, is really interesting is like, so if you look at like the, all the pollinators and bugs and, and organisms that need plants to survive, we've kind of taken away their homes. Like we put in lawns at the best, which lawns, unfortunately, until everyone who has a lawn out there, I'm sorry, but it's not very good for the environment. So how do we turn that into a garden ideally? But the reason they're not good is just because one of the big reasons is the biodiversity. It ends up being a very narrow band of it. And so all those organisms, they can't travel very far. So you mm-hmm. look at the, like we talk about a network. So you're, who needs, why do we care? Why do we need this? And if you want your food to continue to be produced in a you know, sufficient way, in a way that doesn't require a lot of chemicals, you need really active soil and you need a really active pollinator ecosystem. And they need something to eat year round. And so you can talk to your farmer about sustainable uh, ag practices, but also there needs to be a chain from your door to their farm that has a thriving biodiverse community in order to get the most out of those plants to use less chemicals. So it's like the smallest thing, but like literally a garden, I mentioned a garden is, you know, every new garden that goes in is a win for all of us because it helps your farmer. It helps bring more wildlife to interact with those, to eat the bugs. You know, all of this goes around. It just creates this like rich ecosystem by simply providing a food source for the smallest creatures. And so it, it's this weird, it is a network effect, literally. Like the more of these we have, the better it becomes. Okay. Jeremy, you, you got my mind racing. So I, <laughs> two, two questions jump out at me. And I, I want to start with the first bit around people consuming fruits and vegetables for the first time or in, in many years and and having their own aha moment around the freshness and the flavor profile. But I I think now is a really interesting time because if you look at COVID's impact on how people are interacting with food and the types of food we're eating, and this is contrary to what I would have anticipated, but we're seeing frozen foods skyrocket, meats go way up, right? And we're seeing a lot of fresh I guess it depends on what part of the country and go the opposite way. So within your scope of work and what you're hearing um, and maybe even in data to support this, but how has COVID affected kind of the general populace's appetite for fresh? And is it trending upward, downward? What's going on here? Well, I think it's doing two things simultaneously. I think in the stores, it's it's really, really hard to if you're getting grocery delivery, fresh is always kind of hit or miss because someone else is picking it out for you and they don't have your preferences. And so it's at least I think a lot of people not ordering as much fresh or not, you know, taking the time. They look, they're looking at staples and you can get by without fresh. So that's something that, like I said, frozen lasts longer. So it's a way better investment for you. 
if you're looking at kind of maximizing how much time it needs to sit in your house or how many trips you need to make each month to the grocery store. So I think that like when we're seeing the actual kind of final line buying it, it is declining. But at the same time, I'll give you another fact. We are one of the only nurseries in Sonoma and Marin counties. I think there's like two nurseries I know of that like, because we grow a lot of, we grow like 90% of our own plants that isn't almost completely sold out. So when it looks to like what people are like looking to grow a lot of their own fresh produce, and that's kind of what happened if you look at like rationing, World War II, things like that, you would get a ration and it had almost zero fresh, but you had, you grew it. You didn't need that because that was your victory garden. That was your, you know, home garden that was you know, more prevalent at the time. So that was a little bit easier to do rationing or trips out or, you know, just in general, like what was available to you is you, you had the supplement of you could grow and you don't have to grow a lot. That's the crazy thing. Like gardening to your point of like, Hey, I'm a first time gardener. This is intimidating. One of the intimidating factors is how much do I grow? How much do I grow to eat out of it? And like, I'll flip that around a bit. It's like, how much you grow isn't about like only eating out of your garden. Like that's a very hefty goal, but that's not gardening. That's homesteading, you know, and that's a different life commitment, but Mm -hmm. you don't need to grow that much. So that's the other part of it is like even fresh herbs. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but everything you cook tastes better. Even if you have frozen, frozen broccoli and you've got, you know, some beans and you're making a meal together, throwing some fresh oregano, throwing some chives on top, et cetera, it like literally transforms it. Um, so you're getting the nutrition from the fresh, but you're also getting the like amazing flavor. And if you can go outside, open your door, pick some herbs, throw them into the pot, life is pretty good. You've actually, you've accomplished something and it's kind of in a, like an amazing fun way. You've managed to like, it's like harnessing fire for your own good, mm-hmm. right? So it feels really, really kind of satisfying, but literally like the flavor is makes it worthwhile as well. Mm-hmm. But so I think we're seeing a lot of people that are doing that. They're ramping up their home gardening efforts. At the same time, they're ordering less from the fresh produce in the grocery stores. So uh, something that I've been trying to better understand is the thinking around weathering seasons, right? Because mm-hmm. my hunch is that th- this product is probably best suited for warmer months or areas that tend to have climates that can support this type of product over a longer period of time. How does that common denominator affect kind of the business at large? And then how, if if so, how do you think about weathering seasonality year to year? Yeah. So that's, that's one of our, the challenges that we we have is to actually help people uh, understand what can be grown year rounds, depending on kind of where you live. And so we, mm-hmm. we have one of our investors is based in New York and we have that conversation on a regular basis because it's, it's really fun, but there you can grow no matter where you are, you can grow year round there. You know, I mean, so there, there are ways to do that. It depends on, you do have some extra steps. So it's not as completely foolproof, but one of my favorites, speaking of broccoli, since we're on the, on the subject, <laughs> broccoli actually gets better. It, it tastes sweeter, the colder the season. So literally the temperature impacts the flavor. Yeah. It's super like, so that's actually, we talk about the grapes in a way of like, ah, this was in a hotter climate. This was, you know, you can kind of taste the difference in grapes. That's what, you Mm -hmm. know, as a big, as kind of people that are really into wine. And the same is true of actually every fruit, everything that grows. 
And so broccoli is a fruit. It's a, you know, it's, you know, at the, at the end of the day, and as is a pepper, as is a tomato. And so literally mm -hmm. there are terroir differences in your climate on your balcony versus, you know, in the courtyard or, and so that it's kind of fun, like all the different combinations, but cold weather doesn't actually, there's a lot number of crops that are optimized for cold weather. They actually grow better. As long as they're not buried in snow, they're actually fine. And actually, it's one of the reasons we focus on balconies is because usually that's kind of like the sheltered or like easy thing to focus on. You can actually get that. You can kind of keep an eye on it and make sure it's not covered. And we're working in kind of colder climes. We have greenhouse, like you can drop a greenhouse on it and continue to grow, you know, year round, no matter where you are. But we want to, you know, that's actually, you know, it's part of it. There's a lot of different solutions that we can bring to the market for that. We're trying to figure out what's the best next one. But that's something we actually have prototypes all across our, our manufacturing area, which is greenhouses. And we have, you know, God, you know, I think we, New York is probably our third, fourth biggest market. Interestingly, the, the South, like North Carolina, Georgia, uh, Florida is like, that's there. That's, that's an area that's focused on growing and they have the opposite problem where it's to your point, it's, it's kind of mostly hot and humid where we have different solutions slightly for them. Uh, so we have a different blend that we can put in uh, if you're going to that, those climates. Um, and of course, California, we're, we're very lucky when it comes to growing here because, yeah, you can grow anything anytime. It's pretty great. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, so I want to segue to just a list of kind of short burst fun questions okay. that I've, I've been accruing over our conversation, some that I prep beforehand. But the first one, because I've heard either the little guy or girl shake and wiggle in the background. What type of, what type of dog do you have? So I have two, two beautiful fur girls. So they're both rescues in very different ways. But one, the, the big girl is, if you hear, she's the pacer. She is a Catahoula Great Pyrenees mix. I can't even, she's, she's her own weird person. Like I swear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> She's, she looks like a Catahoula, which is like that brindle. They always have like really weird coats, but she has the great Pyrenees eyes, the kind of the big brown eyes. So yeah, she's our first one. She's our eldest. Oh. <laughs> uh, and the other one is actually a, a complete mutt. So the funny thing, there's the exact opposite. So, so the big girl is literally two purebreds that got together. And then the owners just had a random litter of like half and half purebreds. And so they donated them for adoption. And then the little one is literally, we had her DNA tested because she, you know, everyone has a theory on what she is. When you look at her, you're like, okay, she's part this, part this. None mm -hmm. of it's true. Like we, <laughs> we had her DNA tested. She is literally as pure mutt as you can get. The DNA came back with a perfect one eighth pie chart where she has wow. literally like every, she's an eighth of everything. Basically. Uh -huh. It's really interesting. And she's mostly, she kind of looks like a German shepherd cross with a corgi. <laughs> so, what? <laughs> I swear to God. It's, it's crazy. She's, she's, her, she's cute. She's very cute. Oh my gosh. She's a very good girl. I, my parents just got a rescue last year. His name's Ralph. And you look at him and you, you'd say, I don't know, maybe like a basset hound or okay, uh, some, something in there that's a, a little bit large. And then they did the same DNA test and he's like a fourth chihuahua. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so possible? Yeah, right. All right. Anyways, Jeremy, another thing that really interested me on your LinkedIn and your backstory is you also, I guess, tangentially or directly worked with the online gaming category. But here's yeah. here's the interesting piece. So 
it says that you're a senior director and a subject matter expert in online gaming, but you're working at Visa. <laughs> Connect the oh, dots man. for me. Yeah, that was that was a wild time, shall we say. So yeah, I joined this company. So I'd, I'd been working in the online gaming space for a while, and it was really on the transition between subscription games, which that used to be the only way we had games, and now then there was like free to play came along, and all this like you know microtransactions, and so I was lucky enough to be working in the space during that transition, and so it was this fascinating, fascinating kind of you know time to be in entertainment, you know, you know, interactive entertainment, so to speak, and. I joined a company that was really focused on the microtransaction specifically because that was what was interesting to me. And we ended up getting acquired by Visa. And so we became part of that. We became the basically Visa wallet solution they had briefly. I think, I think it's shut down now, but you know, things in tech uh, tend to not have necessarily long lives, but yeah. So I came in as this company, they, they, you know, they realized we had understanding of like individual consumers and data and transactions. And that was very interesting. That's, that's Visa's core. So we, people think of them as, Oh, it's the logo on my credit card. But at its core, they know so much about everything. And it's actually pretty in line with, with online gaming from that sense, where it's like we understand how people behave and interact. And so that's I was I was lucky enough to be able to help transition people through that and actually work with people that were at Visa who were just like these amazing experts at these really complex logistical operations and like data operations. And then also work with the like pure consumer side, which people that really knew how people acted when they, they could be in a game and be themselves and kind of merge those two worlds. And so it's, to your point, it's not something that the dots connect automatically. It's very, very weird niche of the world. But yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, That's super interesting. <laughs> I, outside of this, I uh, am the co-creator of uh, board game or card game called Incoherent. Okay, uh, nice. It's an adult party game in the Cards Against Humanity category, yeah. and we're actually in the process of launching the app version of it. And awesome. one of the one of the core challenges that we've been thinking through is is exactly that. How do you structure the kind of like inner economy? Is it free to play initially, and then you upsell with uh, themed decks? Is it paywalled mm-hmm. out of the gate? And a lot of this, you can just recycle from totally. winners in the space, and that's that's what we're going to start with. But man, it's been super interesting to to kind of casually fall into this ecosystem over the last two years. It's actually been really, really, really fun. Well, I can actually um, tie this together because that's where you're at. Like that, that was my world for a long, long time. And that actually ties into our, our thinking here at Avalo. Uh, and that's, and like, I know this is, again, points that don't necessarily connect, but, but literally like the way that you, the way that like, after looking at, you know, kind of thousands of games and like helping them, you know, the, the creators work through the, the transactions, you are creating an economy. You are literally creating a country of your game at some point, especially if you have the option to earn income, like there's a couple different things in there, but all of a sudden it starts to get really, really interesting because you're, you get very, very close to trying to create your own economy from scratch. And like, that's hard for our governments. So as a, you know, game creator, that's not necessarily something you've probably tackled before, but that's kind of the interesting thing. It is like, there's a, you know, system in the side of a system. And mm-hmm. like, it's so interesting because everything that you design and you think is going to work one way, 
it'll totally work a different way as its <laughs> own rule set that it follows. So uh-huh. I, man, this is that's super interesting, and I'm I'm happy to chat for many hours on the subject. So give me give me a ring after. <laughs> oh my god, I I would I will definitely take you up on that seriously, Jeremy. The last question, and I I, I say this in. I've been saying this for the last few episodes because it's it's quickly turned into my favorite one is the idea or the notion of idea graveyards, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you're a founder, if you're a tinkerer, an inventor, we're probably alike in that every day or, or very often we're coming up with these new ideas. And, you know, in the moment, your, your hunch is, oh, my God, this is the next trillion dollar idea. It's brilliant. <laughs> and then the next day you either laugh at yourself and you just throw it away into your idea graveyard. But sometimes the ideas are good and you just don't have the time to execute on them. So my question for you is to the extent you feel comfortable or um, if you have any, what is one of these ideas that is just rotting away in your idea graveyard that someone should work on or you could, you would work on if you had the time to do so? Well, so the, yeah, it's, I think there's a couple answers to that. So, you know, like I said, I was, I was more pure tech before this, you know, startups, I was working at like uh-huh. gaming and, and, you know, I, I advised a lot of companies on the side on how to like, you know, product developments and product management. And so there's, there's so much out there is good. Like we have, you know, and people are creating amazing things. And so a lot of my ideas like that, I've been like, oh, someone should do that. Like they're doing it. They're, they've done a better job than I could have ever done with it. So uh-huh. kudos everyone. But like, for example, we actually started, we were actually looking at, you know, fractional ownership of uh, rental properties was kind of one of the ideas that we were kind of, I was slowly playing with before starting Avalo. And that's actually being done now, which is great. I mean, we're seeing like all the housing ownership model has completely changed in the last like five years. It's gone from like nothing to you can actually like invest shares in houses and get payback and like, like you know, kind of do different like takeovers and buyouts and things. So it's like, there's a wealth of options on that, which I'm just so, so excited for because that's the part where it's like, wait, we have a highly priced asset and it's the only one we haven't broken into. We talk about blockchain, we talk about different different options, but like I could just buy shares or I could go with my buddy and you know, we could co-invest in a series of like South Philadelphia houses because we think that market's going to be hot. That's my next you know uh, ETF. That's going to be my core mm-hmm. investment. You know, so I think there's, we're seeing options there. And I, like I said, I, I honestly think that there's more options that I could have ever imagined in a, in a really cool way. Love the it. one thing, the one thing I think that as well is like, I think that we're, we're seeing a surge in cooking. And I think that that's like, actually one of the people I'm seeing that is, oh, it's, as usual is like the Kenji from used to be a serious eats. And now is, you know, the owner at worst hall and his own, uh, you know, personality. But I, I love mm-hmm. following people like that, where they're just thinking about the future of food. And so that's, that's really interesting because he's like showing kind of like he did a pop-up YouTube channel and he's just getting millions of people that are following him watching like quesadillas at midnight. Like what? That's wait. So, so what crazy. is, what is that <laughs> channel? Uh, it's just look up Kenji on YouTube and he does like, he just has like a stand up cooking show every once in a while when he feels like it. And so it's kind of like a, uh, K E N J I, uh, J Kenji out Lopez out is his official longer name but affectionately known by by some no, i don't know i don't i've only met him a couple uh-huh. times so i can't even begin to claim that but he goes by kenji for the most part but yeah he's pretty wow. active like helping people figure out like interesting cooking cooking meets science basically his book the food lab is amazing so if you're just getting into cooking i 
can't recommend it enough. But yeah, you have like people like that that are just like, there's not necessarily a product there yet, you know, mm-hmm. but he's, you know, people that have like found the community and they found like the, the missing element of like what people, the one thing that keeps people from doing something. And I think that's that anytime you see that, you're like, that's something. And that's, that's how we start with gardening. We're like, Hey, there's all this like desire to go to the next step, but there's one thing missing. And, you know, we're going to keep trying to figure out what that is for as many people as we can. But, you know, that's kind of our, our submission is like continue to listen and innovate and try to find more of those moments. But, but that's, I think that's the part that's fascinating. I think that, you know, like I said, Kenji's got that for food at this moment, especially like with the lockdown, with everything that's, you know, shelter in place. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something that's incredibly relevant. And I think that, yeah, he's going to do He's going to continue to do amazing things. Super interesting. Jeremy, um, before we part ways, I, I'd love to roll the red carpet. Is there any kind of fault, final call to actions, hiring needs, you know, anything you want to leave with our listeners, the floor is yours. Awesome. Okay. So I think the one ask I have for everyone is start a garden. And if you want help with that, if you want a simple solution, Avalos got your back. If not, still start a garden. <laughs> Use whatever resources, like ev- literally every garden that goes in is a win for the planet. So the single best thing that you can possibly do is to grow something, ideally food, but not necessarily. Just create a home for some pollinators and you know, kind of microorganisms in your area. And if you ever have a question, Avalo, we have our app on the Apple, Google, just search for Avalo, and we'll answer any question you have. Jeremy, thank you so much. Peter, it has been an absolute pleasure, man. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also, if you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at InGoodHands. Also, Special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Peter A. Levin. And that's it. Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.